and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Stephen O'Brien, who is the city clerk for the city of Guelph. Among his numerous duties every day at City Hall, O'Brien is also the chief administrator of our municipal elections. Everything that happens during the course of an election campaign passes over O'Brien's desk at some point, and then there's all this work after the election that we don't really talk about. That's going to be the goal of the next couple of episodes of this podcast. What happens after the election is over? Next week, we're going to talk about planning for the next election in 2026. But for this week, we're going to talk about what's going on right now. What does a council transition period look like at Guelph City Hall? That is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. So on November 15th, five new city councillors are going to formally take their seats around the horseshoe, and there are five people bringing a variety of skills and experiences to the table. One new councillor already has a lot of experience handling budgets worth tens of millions of dollars. There's another new councillor who has experience working inside City Hall as a staffer, and the others all have various experiences working with local boards, advocacy groups, and even other local governments. Joining them are eight people who each have, on average, about 11 years of experience around the council table. So how do all these ingredients gel to immediately form a cohesive unit that will tackle some of the biggest challenges our local government is facing? Talk about on-the-job learning. Now, there's no such thing, really, as a transition period for local government, not in the way that we understand it from the American example, where an incoming president gets two and a half months to fill thousands of government jobs and coordinate with an outgoing administration. Having said that, there's a lot for an incoming counselor to get caught up on. There's all that work being done by the professional staff, including the development of key infrastructure projects, the new comprehensive zoning bylaw, and the ratification of the 2023 budget, which will be the first and perhaps most crucial test of this council. Those are the issues, but then there's also the procedural bylaw to unravel rules around closed council meetings, what a point of order is, what a quorum is, and just the general instruction manual for how a council meeting works. There's so much to cover in so little time, and we will cover as much as we can on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. Stephen O'Brien will join us to talk about when the transition for new councillors begins, what essential reading and training they have to receive, and what refreshers the incumbent councillors get before the new council term begins. We will also talk about some of the issues that council will tackle. We'll talk about learning the limits of council powers and the rules that govern a councillor's role both around the horseshoe and out in the public eye. And finally, we will discuss the leftover paperwork from the election, whether or not people who lost their election races get tapped for feedback, and what O'Brien's personal advice is to the incoming council class. So I caught up with Stephen O'Brien last week via Zoom. Okay, Stephen O'Brien, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here, Adam. Thanks for having me. Uh, to start off with, um, at what point, uh, and maybe this is a question of like who's kind of responsible for reaching out to the winners or or the people who are, uh, I guess, determined by the voters to be their next city councilor and try, trying to avoid the language of winners and losers. Um, but in, in terms of like first point of contact with the city, like who who reaches out to them and says, you know, welcome councilor elect, here's what's happening next. Yeah, that's a good question. 
I mean, I, I think realistically it happens a bit organically. We certainly in the city clerk's office do reach out because as, and I'm, I'm sure as we'll get into, there's, there's sort of the quote unquote onboarding or orientation, the transition body of work that has to happen uh, in advance of November 15th uh, inaugural council meeting and, and them, the collective them of, of the new council elect embarking on the term. Um, but I do know, for example, that our CAO Scott Stewart also reaches out because, you know, there's a close working relationship for the new for the council elect with a whole slew of of folks uh, in in this in sort of in city hall and so I know that Scott's taken the time to reach out to some of them individually and and give congratulations. We reach out, uh, you know, really quite frankly, the next day, like on Tuesday, the twenty fifth, we sent an email saying, "Here's kind of what you can expect to happen and what's to come," uh, and also to warn them to expect a whole lot more uh, touch points with with your friendly neighborhood city clerk's office. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, um, from your end, uh, what what are like what's on your uh, I guess training list or or the list of like sort of your priorities to get um, to get the new counselors ready? If only for the fifteenth, because I imagine um, trying to cram, I guess three weeks work uh, filled with people who may be you know coordinating with jobs and families and you know it's not they they can just hop drop everything and show up at 9 a.m on october 25th and start orientation yeah maybe i'll talk a little bit about in terms of the transition because i think the sort of the first um you know the first questions you have were sort of around the concept of transition and i think transition is a unique term isn't it we think of it often sort of in a i'll even use the example of sort of u.s presidential style trans transitions mm-hmm. um and those those certainly happen not just in the U.S. context, certainly at the senior levels of government here. I think for us, because the city of Guelph has that sort of full-time uh, professional contingent of staff and the workforce that remains in place as sort of that unbiased professional staff, uh, it's not as nuanced as our friends to the south of the border or even sort of our friends at senior levels of government in Canada. Uh, for some municipalities, namely Toronto and Ottawa, with the strong mayor changes that are coming in through legislation introduced by the province, they might experience something that's more in line with those transitions. What it looks like for us is a series of onboarding and, and sort of orientation activities. To your point, from the day the election finishes through until uh, their first inaugural meeting, we focus a lot on what do they need to know now, what do they need now to be successful. Really, our role in the city clerk's office is to make sure that the council elect is set up for success and, and is able to hit the ground running come November 15th. Uh, they're no doubt already receiving and fielding some questions from what is technically going to be their future, future constituents. But for all intents and purposes, I mean, they're, they are constituents almost immediately after the election. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to get council ready for everything from the equipment that they'll receive from us. So they'll get city issued IT equipment, laptops, cell phones, that kind of thing. Uh, through to some of an awareness of the, some of the key initiatives that are underway. As you know, Adam, budget will come hard and fast uh, for this council early in, in next year. Uh, and so to actually does something, you know, more routine, but nonetheless significant in, for example, their first council planning meeting. So um, they're wearing the hat as a land use planning authority in that meeting. And so they need to get that understanding of what that means and what's being asked of them and what the structure and processes of that are. And so, it kind of gives you a sense of some of the things that we try and orient and onboard them with. I, it, it literally comes down to, you know, this is where you're going to sit in the council chambers. This is the technology that you'll use um, to, to vote in the council chambers. This is how this technology works. This is how you can connect remotely. Um, so again, it's a lot of it is 
it might seem sort of, sort of nuts and bolts, but it, again, I think it really, it's important for us to frame it in the sense of what do they need to know to be successful when they first start? Mm-hmm. And there's also the, um, I guess the added, I don't know, you can, you tell me level of difficulty with uh, hybrid meetings now, we're, we're kind of starting a new term with a hybrid format. Yeah, so we've taken the approach, I mean, you, hybrid meetings were really thrust on us in March of 2020, weren't they? But um We've 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 now got some work we've done in the chambers that will make those hybrid meetings a little bit more um, streamlined and and uh, and easy to access. Um, we've had some some delays on some of the equipment delivered for that because of some of the global supply chain challenges. But it won't prevent us from having hybrid meetings. They'll just there'll be sort of nuances that that people will recognize that will they'll see sort of those meetings become a little bit more uh, efficient and streamlined. But we've got to give them the devices to be able to do that. So. Right. Um, you know, gone will be the show of hands for voting and in place now, for example, is a software solution that allows that. Well, they need to have the, the technology and the devices to be able to do that. And they need to be trained on how to use that and what prompts they'll see on their technology, their laptops to allow them to make those votes. So um, we've taken the chance at the turn of the, of the term to be able to try and streamline more what the public and council experienced pre-pandemic with what our new reality is with hybrid meetings, which I think is a good reality. I mean, it gives people flexibility, right? So, Right. And that's an important point too, is that uh, maybe people aren't aware of this. Councillors have their kind of city devices that they use for city business, kind of this church and state feeling of you're doing city business on your city device and then whatever else you're doing um on your personal laptop or tablet or whatever that yeah, and some, some members of council still have employment outside of being a, a city councillor there's a lot of discussion i think you'll remember that from last term about sort of full-time part-time council sort of opted to say that no we still believe this is a part-time role and so there there are councillors both returning and new that have um have busy schedules outside of their their city councilor elected schedule and so yeah it is important to keep I mean, to use the analogy of church and state, that's a good analogy. It's sort of important to keep those things separate. Is there, um, not to put you on the spot, but off the top of your head, you know, we left a lot of business unfinished. Well, I guess we still haven't gotten to the end of term as we're recording this, but, you know, in terms of things that counselors are going to have to pick up on midstream, um, is there is there a list you're working on? I think there's a collective list that that we need to be mindful of, and it's the collective we. It's, it's, it's council... It's staff, it's the community. Um, you know, this this council will be coming into a multi-year budget cycle. Um, they will confirm the budget, uh, a, a, a what is effectively like a two-year multi-year budget approval. And then they will then approve that multi-year budget on a four-year cycle. At least that's sort of what proposed ultimately it's council's decision, but that's what's proposed. So there's any number of, of infrastructure. I mean, the, the capital infrastructure work that, that is inclusive in that budget is really I mean, there's a lot to dissect there. Again, I talk about sort of the, the amount of work that they're coming into. Uh, we have a strategic plan refresh that is something that that obviously is important. So um, working with the new council, the team in the CEO's office to sort of um, engage with them on what, 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 if anything, needs to change in the city's strategic plan. And then the idea is that that plan guides our collective journey together as a community uh, and and the the pace at which that that uh, that objective is achieved is sort of dictated through the budget. So I think those are the two big things. And that's a really simplistic way for me to say there's a whole lot of stuff there. Um, Because when you unpack both of those things, uh, there's any number of projects. I mean, the list could go on and on. 
Well, in the interest of simplifying it a bit, just in terms of like procedure, um, I, I suppose if you are have no council experience, you could do what I do and watch a council meeting and see how the procedure works. Um, but that's sort of like one level of knowledge. You have other people who maybe aren't don't bring that level of familiarity. And then on the other hand, you have someone like maybe um, incoming Ward 4 Councillor Linda Busatil, who has experience on an entirely different board. So in terms of like that basic knowledge, like just the basic of like how a council meeting works, um, yeah. what, what kind of is what kind of works involved there for you? It's a great question. We um, so on the 15th. Uh, November 15th, they will have their inaugural meeting. We're going to take the time to, to, to gather the new council in advance and, and basically walk through a mock council meeting. Um, you know, what does it mean to move and second things? Why is that important? What is a point of order? You know, when would that be used? Um, how do we navigate and manage amendments to motions? Um, and, and, you know, we'll take the time to sort of plug some of the things that we, that help us and help the public. I mean, our role in the city clerk's office is to make access to council uh, public and accessible and, you know, getting motions in advance from members of council so that we can make sure that they're visible and displayable online. It in, it makes meetings an inherently more accessible if we can do that. So we'll, we'll ensure that we're sharing that kind of information. But again, coming back to the technology, that mock council meeting is a chance for them to, you know, fire up the systems, push, push the wrong button and, and it's not a big deal and we can help them and work through things and correct and guide and advise. And so um, we're looking forward to that on the 15th. That's sort of a, a, a component of that orientation and that onboarding piece. It's not just about learning about who is involved in, in projects from the staff side and the council side and the community side, but also what technology we're using. Uh, how do I use it? How do I become so? Our goal is to make sure that when they hit the ground running in their first official council meeting, that that those kind of questions are put aside, that they can just kind of hit the ground and go. Has Mayor Guthrie suggested that maybe you don't advise the new councillors how to use the point of order? And <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. You can, uh, you can ask him that. <laughs> <laughs> I might. Um, uh, going along with that, though, I am curious, is there an opportunity here for... Um, the incumbent councillors get a refresher course on um, the, the 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 workings of council and and you know maybe um, after all this time of you know remote meetings hybrid meetings you know just uh, functioning as a group again. Yeah, so I mean, there's obviously that mock meeting where they're going to get a chance to be there as well. It's new technology for them too. I mentioned uh, the voting, right? It used to be there was sort of a hard button voting. Some of the some of your listeners and people that may have uh, been regular watchers of council would have seen councillors physically pushing buttons in the council chambers to vote yes or no pre-pandemic. Now that's a software-based solution. So the returning councillors have something new for them as well. So that's why it's important that they're involved. And I think too. I mean, we know that that politics is is uh, a, a unique beast that will see people disagree on policy and um, you know certain principles of of things and approaches to to policy decisions for for the city. Um, but inevitably, there are thirteen members of council, and the success that they will have on their strategic sorry, I mean their strategic their strategic plan. Um, will come down to how how well they work work together, right? Um, to strike a balance between, you know, the recommendations, the professional recommendations from staff and what they hear from their constituents um, and how they marry those two factors to make good policy decisions and how they navigate that together as a group of 13. Again, seven of them will ultimately have to make a decision on things, but 
bringing them together to sort of have those discussions and, um, you know, call it a bit of a, a bit of an orientation with themselves um, and some team building as well. So uh, it's it's as much about the technology and the new as, as it is about bringing returning members of council in the fold with new members and new council elect. Um, and then and then also their working relationship and, and, and their sort of team relationship with senior staff at the city as well. In that answer, there was something I wanted to address maybe a bit later, but so, so I'll move it up now. Um, from your point of view as the city clerk, the left hand of the mayor, if you will, um, how important is like a council that is like aware of the procedure that is kind of like focused on the good management of a meeting and not just like the hashing out of the issues and reaching a decision, but in terms of like good procedure how it, how important is good procedure to a proper functioning of council? Well, I figured you, you, you knew you'd get a very biased answer in that regard. <laughs> the answer to that is I think it's incredibly important. Um, and I think it's integral. I mean, people will say that, you know, through you, Mr. Mayor or Madam Mayor, if the case were that, um, might seem starchy. It might seem sort of stodgy a little bit. Um, but the reality is that those, you know, that sort of vernacular or that, that the way we sort of engage with each other in council chambers um, is indicative of something that I think is incredibly important. And what it highlights for me is, is that there is a matter of process and order to council's decision-making. And that's not necessarily for just members of council. I think perhaps most importantly, it's for the public, right? Mm, it mm -hmm. adds a degree of transparency and accountability. If I want to change something that council is going to do, that needs to be an amendment. It formally needs to be moved and seconded. And that's important. You know, our role in capturing minutes of, of city council meetings is, you know, strip away video and live streams and webcasts and broadcasts and a delegates being able to call in or video in really the, the, the true official record of city decision-making is the minutes. And so that's why proper procedure in meetings is important. Again, it does feel a little bit sort of like stiff upper lip and starchy, um, but it's important because it contributes to sort of that underlying accountability and transparency that exists in the municipal level. And I'll say this, I think you've heard me say this before, Adam, it doesn't exist elsewhere. You don't mm. get to walk into um, a caucus meeting at the federal provincial level, let alone a cabinet meeting where really the decisions do make, especially majority governments. That's but right. you can walk into the decision-making at city council anytime, except for some pretty narrow reasons um, and sit there and watch that. And if you didn't get to do that, you can get that through the minutes. And then we've just layered on, you know, the, the technology of the day, video, audio recordings, et cetera, et cetera, to allow better accessibility and transparency. And I think, Boiling all that down comes down to those good procedural rules and, and reasons for meetings and how we conduct ourselves and how um, meetings are chaired. It's a method of organization, right? Because I, I think people sort of see it as as that kind of stuffy, dodgy, you know, kind of systemic, um, I don't know, malaise of, of governance. But it, it really is a, a way of keeping things ordered so that things don't descend into, not that I would suggest any council, uh, especially in Guelph, would do this, but uh, descend into a shouting match of some kind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's important to balance the inputs, right? Every member of council has the right to speak on an issue, an issue in a matter, just like delegates have the right to speak. We have to control that. Obviously, like, you know, a five-minute limit for delegations is not because we're trying to, you know, 
reduce the amount of time. But you know, if you've got a, a whack load of folks that want to speak, they ought to all have the same fair access to the decision making and inputs into the decision making. And so the same holds true for members of council and delegates. And um, so yeah, it does. It adds a bit of structure and order, but that order and structure is intended to be for fairness more than rigidity, let's say. Mm, mm-hmm. This is I'm, not that I'm, I'm suggesting you take more work upon yourself, but I, I do also wonder here if there's an opportunity to educate the public along with the new council that, you know, there, there's a learning opportunity here. We're not essentially starting from scratch, but in a way we're, this is a, I guess to use the parlance of like of uh, storytelling and like TV and movies and things, this is a good jumping on point for people if they're interested in getting involved in council and yeah, I think well, it's a natural transition. I mean, we certainly see it like that. There's a transition, a natural time when when terms switch over. Uh, it's predictable too, to a certain degree. So we know when it's coming, unlike other levels of government. Um, but yeah, certainly it's a time for transition. It's a, a natural time of transition. And that natural time of transition um, does does offer that opportunity for people to, to new, new people that might want to get involved and learn about these things. We have talked, I, I certainly have, and I, I, I would love to see sort of like a, uh, a civic school almost uh, run by city hall. And maybe that's for younger generations. Maybe it's for just anybody that wants to pop in like anything, you know, resources need to be applied to that. And, you know, I will admit that for me, uh, you know, if we're going to, if, if I, if we were to take it on, I would want it to be done well and done right the first time um, that can be a limiting factor. I will admit in my own sort of approach to things, but um, yeah, there, there might be a time and place where we, we stand some of those things up. Um, such a busy time from, you know, the few months, year leading into the election to then this transition that we're talking about now to a new term. And then, like I said earlier, they're right into their first council planning meeting, right into their first budget discussions. And it doesn't really stop. Mm-hmm. So fitting that in is, 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 a, is something that we probably ought to think a little bit more about. And maybe we right. do. Think that. Right, right, right. I want to talk a bit about, um, procedure going forward and this actually came from someone who wrote to me um we have a an incoming city councilor who's an employee for uh wellington county uh she doesn't control the purse strings but she is uh she does have kind of a a middle manager position so i'm curious if maybe you could refresh us a little about pecuniary interest and and perhaps how this councilor is going to as by way of example how she's going to navigate uh these intersections a fantastic question. And it's not, it's not just limited to Councillor elect Richardson. She's, um, you know, any number of other councillors in other communities around the province may face this. Um, and, and in fact, because our councillors are predominantly part-time councillors, I mean, many of them will, will treat it as a full-time role and, and devote that energy. And there's differing uh, amounts of, of, uh, of time that different councillors will, de- will devote to their, to their role as a city councillor. Um, some of them may have commitments outside of their city work that is also could be um, at times in conflict. Uh, and by conflict, I mean, in the, the purest definition of like a conflict of interest under the legislation, they may be in conflict with their, with their sort of their home lives or their, their professional lives outside of city work and their city work. Um, the challenge is that the declarations of those conflicts of interest are required by legislation. It is a it is a statute, the Municipal Conflict of Interest Act, and really the onus is on the individual counselor. So part of the training that 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 
members of council will receive actually sort of kind of tied in with that mock meeting that we'll have is kind of like a bit of a statutory legislative overview that we'll cover off. Things like what is a procedural by all the things we've talked about already, but also in there, the Municipal Conflict of Interest Act. We provide all the members with a guidebook to that, the Conflict of Interest Act. It is their, it is their responsibility to declare uh, and know when to declare or declare immediately after they become aware of a conflict. Um, the other piece is, fortunately, um, municipal integrity commissioners have taken a role in that conflict piece. So like all municipalities in Ontario, the city of Guelph has to have an integrity commissioner. Their primary role is probably most linked to the code of conduct and, um, you know, receiving complaints against the code of conduct. But they also do provide advice and can provide advice around conflicts of interest. Uh, and so we make sure that members of council have that knowledge and know where to go and how to access those things, where we have to report on conflicts that are declared. And so they have to input that information and it's posted in a public uh, way online as part of that accountability and transparency regime we have. Um, so we'll make sure that the councillors are all aware of those responsibilities and those obligations that they have and the resources that are available to them to, to support their, their reporting out in that regard. Maybe just this, uh, as an anonymous example, you know, uh, what happens if a counselor doesn't declare a conflict, then it should be obvious to them, if not everyone else, that they have a conflict. What happens if they don't declare? Well, they can. There is recourse through that legislation. So they okay. those those a lack of a declaration can be investigated. Ultimately, like anything in in Ontario, and and uh, you know, especially in and around council, a lot of those decisions would fall to the courts. Mm. Um, so fortunately or unfortunately, there can be investigations through the integrity commissioner, but ultimately those things tend to, if they are elevated and escalated, they tend to, to go and flow through the court system in Ontario. And I assume that, um, through that process, if it's like an honest oversight or if it's a legitimate sort of a counselor ducking their pecuniary interest and trying to ignore it, to have a, a say on a, that issue, that that would come out in the wash too. Yeah, I mean, I think judges, in in my understanding, and just sort of a, a high level understanding of some of the cases that have come, they they're they they sort of they will apply that lens, right? You know, was it uh, was it an overt um, you know avoidance of conflict of interest rules, or was it a, a misstep kind of thing? So right, right, right. Well, before we move on to the next election, I. I'm curious uh, in terms of the work left for this election, uh, what, you know, you're, you're, we're talking about trans transitioning to the new council, but there's still work for both you and your staff and as well as the candidates um, to sort of wrap up this election. The one yeah, we just had. Absolutely. Um, certainly a lot of the wrap up happens on the night of the election. <laughs> we get all those supplies back and it's, uh, and they're certainly organized and there's an orderly fashion, but uh, we have no way of controlling when those supplies come back to City Hall. And so sometimes it's a, it, they come in droves uh, on the night of the 24th, if I think back to Monday last week, at least from the time that we're recording this. That right, is. right, right. Yep. Um, but our mind goes to now providing additional data, right? So obviously we provided the results, um, but we're able to generate some, uh, some additional statistics and reports that will be of interest to people. Uh, they're of interest to us as well. Um, so we'll be, we'll, we will generate those statistics and that data from the voting systems, um, from the voters list data that we gather and collect. It does take us some time, but usually within, you know, three weeks, four weeks post-election, we've got a little bit more deeper data that's available on Guelph.ca. So we look forward to doing that. Um, that can include things like demographics, you know, 
um, age demographics of who turned out to vote, busiest locations, turnout by ward, things like that, that I think everyone is, uh, well, at least, at least the election wonks are interested in. Um, <laughs> so we'll work on that. We do have some final up, uh, close up reporting to do to council, one of which is an accessibility report that has to be published within 90 days from the election. So we will do that through the information items. Again, that's just a more of a a public statement than it is about seeking any direction. We will have a more robust and rigorous report at some point, probably in Q1 or Q2 of next year. That is a bit of a look back at, you know, um, some of that data, some of the the programs we we initiated this time around, like the vote from home pilot program we did. So we'll have some information about that. So there's that reporting. And then finally, the big thing I think, especially on the candidate side is their closeout. Their campaigns actually technically are still running, believe it or not, from a financial standpoint, and don't mm-hmm. end until January 3rd, I believe is the date, um, given where the weekends fall in the in the new year. Right. Um, but they have until that date to close out their campaign, uh, finalize any outstanding expenses they may have. They can still collect contributions during this period as well. Um, but that that closeout at the end of January culminates then with a with their financial filing, their their financial statement that they file, which is due by March of 2023. And then so we will we will facilitate much in the same way we facilitated the nominations of individuals. We'll finish, we'll facilitate sort of the closeout of their campaigns by receiving those statements and posting them online for public awareness as well. And just so we're clear, people who might might have finished their campaign in debt and might try and raise some money so that uh, they don't personally absorb that debt in the in the, after the election, which is why they would be fundraising after the vote. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. If there's actually a surplus, it, it, it's turned over. I mean, they can return a surplus to themselves. They've got maximums that they themselves or a spouse can contribute to the campaign. They can return surplus to those individuals. But if there's surplus beyond that, it actually is returned to the city, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't use it for anything other than it goes into the election reserve and it probably goes to purchase ballots and and voting equipment and things like that in 2026. But yeah, that's exactly as you said, closing out, managing any any debts uh, and 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 that, and the like. Well, we know it's not going to your dollar shape script uh, subscription right now. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, maybe to wrap up uh, or this part of 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 our conversation, um, bringing it a bit full circle, but kind of the obvious. Uh, do you reach out to? people who maybe weren't successful in being elected and get their feedback in terms of, you know, not necessarily about their campaign, but in terms of how the relationship was coordinating with the city in terms of any of the things they, that you do on an official basis between candidate and the election administrator. hundred percent. We have um, really three channels of what I'll call surveying or engagement. One of which is live right now on haveyoursay.guelph.ca for the general public, sort of the, the general electorate. We engage with candidates to get their feeling on things. Um, and we engage with the staff that we hired to work the election. So there's the three channels there. Uh, we will do dedicated phone surveying to make it sort of achieve that statistically relevant um, benchmark. Uh, but there's really the tool that's online that we use for the for the public electorate through haveyoursay.guelph.ca, the phone survey that will go out, it's randomized. Um, and then again, as I said, engaging with the staff that worked with us to get a sense of their observations, their, their successes, their challenges. And then the same holds true for candidates, what their successes and challenges were more so from obviously engaging with us and, and, and how we as a, as a department support them through the election. Stephen O'Brien, uh, just thanks for all your, uh, 
all your expertise and your hard work. And uh, I hope you uh, enjoy these salad days before the planning of the next election begins. But for now, just uh, thanks for hopping on with me today. Great. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you having me. Take care. And once again, that was Stephen O'Brien. The inaugural first meeting of City Council is on Tuesday, November 15th at 6.30 p.m. in the Council Chambers at 1 Carden Street. There is also a mock meeting for the new council to get acquainted with procedure and technology, and that's at 9.30 a.m. that same day. Come back here next week for part two of our discussion with O'Brien, where we talk about planning for the 2026 municipal election. But that's it for now from the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, You'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram and send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can certainly get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week that you already know the topic of, by the way. But until then, we will see you next time. Thank you.